Good morning. Hear the reading of God's word this morning from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 and 10 through 13. I'm reading from the LSB, the Legacy Standard Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, Nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to that, uh, to what was his own, And those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And Lord, bless the reading of your word. You may be seated. With God's help, we'll invite that very powerful introduction to John's gospel, lead us into our time of communion this morning. What a wonderful reminder that Jesus has done everything necessary um, for his people to be declared, to be called children of God. Communion time is family time. It's, it's for the children of God and, and, and no one else. And, and, and the Lord's Supper is really an opportunity for God's children, God's family to remember who they are and whose they are and how it came to be that way. And I want to just explain what I mean by that. We enter God's family not by being born naturally to Christian parents, not by being in the company of those who are Christians, not by growing up in the church. As wonderful as those things are, we secure the right to be called children of God by being born of the Spirit of God. And all who are born of the Spirit of God, says John in his gospel, receive Christ. I wonder this morning, have you received Christ? And it's to those who receive Christ by faith that God gives the right to be called children of God. And let me just say that that truth alone gives clarity to us about who ought to participate in communion and who ought not to participate in communion. Again, this, this is family time. This is, this, is, this is a time for God's family. And to receive Christ is to take him in personally as Savior and Lord. 
To, to receive Christ in this way, says John's gospel, is to believe in his name. In other words, God's children are those who place their full confidence for salvation in Christ and Christ alone. And I want to just encourage you this morning, Christians, we come to the Lord's table confident that Christ's righteous life, his, his pure life in his humanity was lived out for us, that it was, it was offered as our substitute in substitution for our sinful life at Calvary's cross. Are you confident in this? And we come to the Lord's table full of joy and confident that his death at Calvary on that old, rugged, bloody cross really does satisfy God's wrath for your sin, my sin. And it is the only thing is Christ's blood that satisfies God's wrath for our sin. And we take the bread and the cup confident that Christ is risen, just as he said, um, affirming that his powerful work for us, his people, God's children, is, is effectual. And it's ongoing. And, and it's lasting. So that Christ alone is the great author and sustainer of this faith by which we become children of God. As many as received him, says John, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. If you're visiting with us this morning, let me just say for the sake of clarity, we urge all who are God's children in this sense to partake of the bread and the cup. The communion table here is open in that sense. Yet I also urge you who have not received Christ, who, who, who are not believing in Christ personally, who are not following Jesus personally, well, first of all, I invite you to turn to Christ. If, if the Spirit of God is stirring your heart in such a way that you're inclined right now to repent of your sin and turn to Christ in the quiet of your own heart, would you do that? And, and let this be a Lord's Day when you take the bread and the cup the only way it is to be taken as a child of God. But, but if that isn't you, uh, if, if that isn't you, um, then, then we urge you to simply let the bread and the cup pass you by. And you'll not get any funny looks for that. This is what honors God that we not partake of the supper in an unworthy manner. So the communion table is open, and yet the communion table is fenced here in that way, reserved only for God's family of faith. And this would be a perfectly normal time for you to think to yourself, are, are we actually going to take communion? Is, it, is that going to happen now? It is. I can see it on some of your faces. Um, but even for God's children, listen, there is a caution, isn't there? And that is why every um, 
week that, that leads up to one of these Lord's Days, when we, when we come to um, communion, we encourage you to um, prepare your heart for this time. And, and we might even re refer you to Scripture that, that informs your heart's preparation for this time. Let me just give a couple examples. If you are not right with others, and you've not done your part to be right with someone else, um, whether it's repenting of your sin against them or, or extending forgiveness for their sin against you, um, you should not partake until that's done. If, if, if we have unconfessed sin in our lives, uh, maybe the Holy Spirit even now is bringing to our remembrance something that we need to bring with confidence to our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, so that we can partake of the bread and the cup in, in a worthy manner. And so let's just take some time now, family, to go to the Lord and take care of these things now before the bread and the cup are taken. Oh, 
Let's give thanks now for the bread. Father, we come to you this morning glad that you've done everything necessary to bring us into your family. Nothing we ourselves, we bring simply to your cross, we cling. We thank you, Jesus, that you left the glory of your heaven and you came into this world and you lived among sinful people like us and yet you lived without sin. You lived out the very righteousness of God, the, the life we were created to live and have not lived that you might offer your life a sacrifice and a substitute for ours. And we thank you that in your shed blood it really is finished. The wrath of God is satisfied for all of your people. And Lord, we thank you for your empty tomb. We thank you that you are alive today, that you, you live within us by your spirit. You're present with us here today. And Lord, I pray that you would do that work of, of encouraging us in our hearts today, um, not only to be grateful um, ever so for what you've done for us, but Lord, that we might consecrate ourselves to, uh, to live uh, with love toward you. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. The scripture says that Jesus, when he had finished the supper with his disciples, took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it. And giving it to the disciples, he said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, said Jesus, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What a joy is before us as we think of that coming day when we are together as God's family, the children of God, in the presence of our Savior and our King Jesus, absent any trace of sin. Do you look forward to this? And, and that family time will never end. Um, it will endure forever. And I encourage you to think um, of, of this theme of family, God's family, as we turn now to the, the preaching text, Matthew 12. Um, these last few verses of Matthew 12 really are all to do with family. Not only God's eternal family, but the fact that Jesus had an earthly family, just like you do, and there were times in the life of Jesus when the values and priorities of that earthly family 
collided and even conflicted with the priorities and values of the family of God. I wonder if any of you can relate to this. Possibly. Let's just see. Matthew 12, beginning with verse 46. While Jesus was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Now someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. I want to just deal with a couple of things quickly so that they don't become obstacles as we work our way through um, this um, text this morning. I, those of you who are following along in the ESV notice that you are missing verse 47. And you're quietly thinking to yourself, well, it, you know, perhaps if I had spent a little bit more and got a better version of this. <laughs> Uh, and, and I just want to encourage you that that's not the case at all. Um, your, your Bible is perfectly fine. There's a minor textual variant um, that um, has some English translations um, not include verse 47. This is not consequential in any way. I think you'll see that as we go through the passage this morning. So just set that aside. Your Bible's just fine. Um, secondly, and far more importantly... Um, please know that this passage absolutely refutes and disallows the notion that Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, was a perpetual virgin uh, and that somehow Mary has a privileged access to Jesus that no one else has. I want you to just look at the text and see how that is not so. Jesus had siblings, uh, brothers and sisters, uh, so Mary was not perpetually a virgin, as, as Roman Catholicism um, uh, puts forward. And since Mary uh, had no privileged access to Jesus uh, here in Matthew 12, we can be certain she does not today, um, as again, as Roman Catholicism um, puts forward. There is uh, today, as ever and as always, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Amen? Now, I, that, uh, that's, not, um, that, that's a bit of a tangent, so it doesn't count against my time. But I, but I didn't want us to miss uh, from the Scriptures um, that which brings clarity to something like that, okay? The, these, the, the doctrine um, that we turn to in Scripture is important for lots of reasons, um, that being one of them. But, but setting those two things aside, um, I want us to just try to picture what Matthew is describing to, here, to us here in, in this, this last little bit of chapter 12 because it's really quite striking. Um, here is Jesus ministering in Galilee and along comes his natural family. And, and there's, there's an awkwardness and, and there's a tension because what, the, what the, the earthly family seems to want is not something that Jesus uh, in those moments is prepared to give. And so Matthew shows us a family dilemma. Anybody here have family dilemmas? 
Um, and he shows us a new family defined, and then he shows us this new family being directed. And, and we'll spend most of our time on the dilemma because that's what um, these verses suggest, the, a family dilemma. Here is Jesus ministering in Galilee, and he has been tirelessly and relentlessly um, showing himself to be God's anointed king, uh, the promised Messiah, Savior, uh, come to save his people from their sins. He's been demonstrating uh, with teaching and in particular with miracles that he's, he's fully capable of doing so. He is bringing the kingdom of heaven uh, to his people and to his world. And as Christ ministers to, to, to a great multitude here, uh, along come Mary and her other boys, Jesus' little brothers, to interrupt Jesus, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. And you just have to ask yourself, well, why do they seek to interrupt his ministry, to speak to him? And if, and if you read Mark and Luke's accounts of this occasion, you get the sense that this is basically a family intervention. Jesus had come back to his home base in Capernaum, um, and the, 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 this particular crowds, just like all of the others, the, the demands had been such that, that Jesus and his di disciples could not even have a meal, says Mark chapter 3. In verse 21 of that chapter, and when his own people heard this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, he has lost his senses. His own people literally kinsmen, his, his family, mom and the little brothers. And why did they think he's lost his senses? Well, again, he'd been ministering to the point of exhaustion, uh, sometimes going without food, sometimes going without sleep. His focus is singular, our king. And Jesus' miracles and teachings angered the religious establishment, the powers that be, the scribes and the Pharisees who are now plotting to kill Jesus. You remember all of this? Okay. So the cross looms larger and larger for Jesus, and on this particular day, his, his natural family members come along and they seek to interrupt his ministry um, presumably to take Jesus back to their home in Nazareth where he can uh, get some rest and, and get something to eat and be safe. They seek to seize him, to lay hold of him, the scripture says, literally to, to take him into protective custody. And you got to wonder, what is going on here? I mean, didn't, didn't they get the memo about all of this? You think that never came up in, in family gatherings? Well, we're, we're dealing with human beings here. Mary, after all, is still a mom. And her, any moms here? And, and, and her oldest is not eating right, and he's not sleeping right, and he's in danger. How do moms feel when their children are in danger? You don't mess with mom. The brothers, too, 
either out of concern for, for Jesus or perhaps out of concern for their, fa- their family's reputation. Um, either way, they seem to, to want to interfere with this instance of Jesus' mission. But, but I want you to notice something quite telling here in verse 46. It says, while he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. And you might want to just circle in your, in your friend's Bible the, that word outside. It turns out that matters. It, it, it's repeated um, in the, the gospel accounts of this. And you, and you just have to wonder, well, why are they... Why are they outside? Why aren't they inside the crowd or inside the house even, if you will? Um, Mark's account also draws attention to this outside business. Then his mother and his brothers arrived uh, and standing outside, uh, they sent word to him calling him. And, and the thing of it is, when it, when it, whenever it comes to the way that d- different people regard Jesus, there are always insiders and there are always outsiders. I wonder this morning, are you an insider or an outsider? And it's got nothing to do with natural family relationships. Being born naturally into the family of Jesus did not in these moments guarantee membership in the family of God. You say, well, wait a minute now. We know the end of the story. I know, and we'll get to that. I'm just talking about right now in the text. What does that have to do with us? Being born naturally into a Christian home does not guarantee anyone's membership in the family of God. The church, God's family, is a family of faith. Uh, The new birth manifests itself in faith, personal faith in Jesus Christ. John's gospel tells us, I think this is really astounding, Jesus' brothers at another time were trying to convince him to leave the the backwater towns of Galilee. You've got to get out of these podunk places, Jesus, and take this show on the road. You've, You've really got to go down to Judea uh, the bigger cities, Jerusalem, in fact, they've, they've much larger newspapers, and, it, it'll be, and you'll make a much bigger splash there. And, and you've got to wonder, well, how can Jesus' own um, brothers by biology, I guess you'd say, his, his natural brothers, um, seek to direct his ministry with such worldly priorities? Well, well John tells us in his gospel for... For not even his brothers were believing in him. They were at this point in time, though members of his natural family, outsiders. They were not insiders. Are you hearing this? Young people, listen. You are not a Christian simply because your parents are Christians. You are not a Christian because you're great grandparents were in ministry. You you are not a Christian because you got married in grandma and grandpa's church. How astounding this is. 
that, that Jesus' little brothers had the privilege of their parents teaching them about the miraculous nature of their elder brother's birth. Do you think that ever came up around the dinner table? What do you guys talk about at dinner? Whatever it is, it's pretty boring compared to that. That probably came up. These brothers had the privilege of seeing the only sinless human being who's ever lived every single day at home, as long as he was at home. They had the revelation of God from Scripture concerning his promise to send a deliverer, Israel's Messiah, and, and yet they remained outsiders at this point in their lives. Again, you might ask yourself, are you an insider or are you an outsider? Are you one whose life revolves around Christ and his priorities or are you one who yet expects Jesus to revolve around your life and your priorities? Do you see the difference? You cannot become a Christian by osmosis. By having close proximity, even household connection, to the people of God, you must receive Christ personally. You must believe in his name personally. Um, you must be born again. And friend, if the Spirit of God is stirring your heart to repent and believe upon Christ, do so now. Turn to him now. Anyway, Matthew, you still listening? <clears throat> Matthew is showing us what happens when the interests and priorities of the insiders and the outsiders collide. And how many of you know they always do? Verse 47, now someone said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. Um, and I just want to say, as an aside, lest there be any un misunderstanding about what follows, um, because what Jesus says here is really astounding. Unless we misunderstand it, um, please understand that Jesus is not disrespecting his family. He's not dishonoring his mother. He's not being unlovely to his, his siblings. Um, nor is he diminishing the importance of the, the nuclear family, the natural family. The family, as you know, is the centerpiece by God's design of any society. Family matters a lot. And that's why Satan spends so much energy seeking to destroy the family. So that we live in a world today whose people say, well, any, anything's a family. Anything under one roof is a family. Well, the family must be a priority for God's people because the family is God's, you know, by God's own design, um, the closest earthly relationships we will have. That's why we find commands, not suggestions, but commands in Scripture like this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, 
Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's all to do with life in the family. That's why we have commands like like this one, Ephesians 5. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. And, and, And then what? Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church. And gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, that she would be holy and blameless. Why do we have commands like that? Well, lots of reasons, including this is the best life that God has for his people in the context of family as he has designed it. But also because these natural family relationships provide the model for relationships within the family of God. A biological family, a natural family functioning by God's design despite all of its imperfections lays a foundation for for understanding the family of God. How interesting that God chooses the metaphor of family in describing his church, the the people of God. A a marriage, for example, a marriage functioning by God's design, and I'm speaking here of one man married to one woman for life, is an illustration of the gospel itself, Christ's marriage to his elect people. And I mention all of that, even though it's a bit of an aside, just just to make clear to us that we don't want to read into Matthew 12, Jesus pitting God's family against the natural family. That's not what's happening here. He's not dissing those relationships. In fact, in Christ's active obedience, how many of you know, no one honored earthly father and mother like Jesus. No one loved siblings like Jesus because Jesus did so perfectly. So much so that as Jesus, our king, hung from that bloody old rugged cross, he looked at Mary and he didn't see any of his brothers there. So then he turned to John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, and said, you know, hey, take, take care of my mom. As if she's your mom. It was Jesus who condemned the whole idea of Corbin. What, what was that? The hypocritical notion that you could pledge money to the temple rather than help your parents in need. So you'd look like a swell person and you'd look really pious while you were negligent in your stewardship in terms of taking care of your, your aging parents. And Jesus condemned shirking family responsibility like that. And so we come to, you still with me? So we come to Matthew 12, armed with the rest of Scripture to understand, well, Jesus isn't dissing mom and brothers here, so what what else then is going on? And and what is going on really ought to shock us. Look at at verse 48. Jesus answered uh, the one who was telling him and said, 
Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Someone apparently got Jesus' attention and came to him and said, Hey, your family is here. And because they're family, they figure they have you know, immediate access to you. Um, they, they, they want your undivided attention. So what, what does that tell you about Jesus? Jesus absolutely knew the joy of family relationships, but he also knew the tension of family relationships, especially when the demands of an earthly family were wrong in their priorities when set against the priorities of the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? It is agonizing in our own families when we run into this kind of dissonance, isn't it? Isn't it? If you don't answer, I just stop. (laughs) Family relationships, though important, are not to take priority over commitment to God's will. Says who? Says Jesus. And, and, And those who believe that the concerns of an earthly family are supreme, even supreme over what we know is the will of God, uh, we, we, we really have to sit up straight and pay attention to that. I'll give you an example here in just a little bit. Jesus' mother and his brothers, just in these moments, have lost sight of the great importance of Christ heralding his kingdom. The brothers apparently don't yet understand the supreme importance of Christ heralding the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and so they come to him and they're essentially saying, hey, get some rest, get something to eat, tone it down, keep your head below the sandbags, would you? Because this kingdom stuff, is, is, it's gotten kind of extreme. And you know, you're making your family look kind of weird. Come home. Come home. One of the Psalms, Psalm 69, tells us what was on Jesus' heart in awkward moments like this. Psalm 69 says, because for your sake, for Yahweh's sake, the Father's sake, I have borne reproach. Dishonor has covered my face. I have become estranged from my brothers and a foreigner to my mother's sons. That's exactly what's happening here in Matthew 12. And this was something that Jesus experienced all throughout his earthly ministry. And those of us who are followers of Jesus, do you suppose we'll experience this sort of thing too? The outsiders though perhaps part of our natural family even, saying to us, come on, it's fine that you're a Christian, but does it really have to influence every part of your life? Doesn't it seem like this has gotten a little bit extreme? If you really loved us, you would do such and such. Well, we'll come back to that. This was not the first time that Jesus' family misunderstood kingdom 
priorities. This, the Bible tells us that as a, as a boy, Jesus um, got separated from his parents during a temple visit. Remember reading about this? Okay. And I, I, mean, I don't know what's on your uh, rap sheet, but I would think losing Jesus would be <laughs> up there. Uh, but anyway, that's what happened. And, and um, eventually they're, they're able to, to remember where, where Jesus is. And, and, and Luke says this. His mother said to him, child, why have you treated us this way? How interesting. Behold, your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus said what? Do you not know that I had to uh, be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had spoken to them. And so, so here we are in Matthew's gospel, 20-some years later, the same misunderstanding creates this dissonance and this tension and this, this, this funk in, in the family because the priorities are just different. Jesus has come to establish the family of God. And this family is the one that has priority in these moments. And yet in his humanity, Jesus feels the weight of being disenfranchised from his earthly family, those who are yet outsiders. Again, I wonder, can anybody relate to that? So in the face of this family dilemma... Matthew then shows us a, a new family defined. And, and we're making good progress here. Don't, don't despair. Verse 49. And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. No, note the, the correlation here. Disciples, mothers, brothers. It's not complicated. The disciples, as the kingdom of heaven is breaking into humanity through the gospel of Jesus, um, the, a, a new family is being born. The church is being born. The disciples, the, those who, who receive and, and, and believe in and, and follow Jesus are his family members. And in this um, eternal family, the, the bonds will run far deeper and, and the love will flow far wider, and the purpose of relationship will be far greater than it ever could be in a natural family. Jesus' true family, then, is a family of faith whose members believe in him and actually follow him. And so Jesus uses this aside, this, this response to the question, will you stop for the sake of your natural family to teach these important truths? And I, I want you to just notice that Jesus himself then is placing limitations on the importance of an earthly family. As important as it is, God places a limit on the family's importance. Why? So that the family does not become an idol. You shall have no other gods before me. You mean I could love my family, my natural family, more than I love God? Well, of course. Of course. 
So moms and dads and grandparents and all, and all of us, we, we, we need this caution that our, though our natural family is, is of, of, of great importance to us, it's a primary stewardship that God has given us. It's a primary mission field that God has given to us. It's a, it's a, a gift for great joy and blessing. And yet the natural family is not to become an idol. God's priority is this, the establishment of his eternal family. Now, the two are not mutually exclusive. Don't think that. Again, we're talking about insiders and outsiders here. So in Matthew 12, Jesus is not going to forsake his family of faith simply to please his earthly family. And that must have been, you're still listening, that must have been a, a, a harsh reality uh, for Mary and the, and, the, and the brothers to receive at first. I mean, how could they not be of greatest importance? How could they not be of greater importance than these people around Jesus who hadn't even known him as long as they've known him? And today, our unsaved family members at times will feel jilted in this way, won't they? And they will come to us, in effect, and say, if not with words, then with their behavior, hey, isn't the Jesus stuff getting a little bit out of hand for you? Aren't you taking it a bit too far? I mean, it's fine to be a Christian, but is everything about you Christian? Is that how it works? And we might be tempted to buckle. And we might be tempted to compromise to keep the peace with unbelieving family members. I mean, what do we value more than keeping the peace with our family members? That matters to us, doesn't it? And parents, you might be tempted to ease up in the sense that you do what a lot of uh, worldly parents do, and they, they simply let the kids and the kids' interests run the family. Are you hearing this? But let me just say, in, in the spirit of these things not being mutually exclusive, what happens when the natural family has Christ at the center well, you can just look around the fellowship now, maybe not now because it would creep people out, but you see, the, you see the blessing from God in natural families where Christ is at the center, where his priorities matter most, and surprise, surprise, God blesses that arrangement. And the aroma of Christ is experienced not only within the family, but from the family to others. It's a big part of our witness in the world. And so parents, rather than, you know, buckling like that, like the world does, we, we want to spend our energy and our time praying and laboring uh, in, the, in the direction of leading our children into the family of God. Amen? R.T. France, in, in his commentary on Mark, says this. He says, the new family of the people of God into which the disciple is introduced is far more significant even than the natural family. 
And if doing the will of God involves the incomprehension and even the hostility of one's family, as it did for Jesus, this is a price worth paying. I probably should have just started with that. Remember, Jesus has already said in, in Matthew 10, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus wants his followers to know then that there, there is this inevitability of insiders and outsiders' priorities colliding, not agreeing. And lest we become pragmatic and we start to compromise because we think, well, the world says you do this because that's what it means to love somebody. In fact, that will be how we love them into the kingdom. We'll affirm something that God says no to, but in doing so, they will feel loved and we'll sneak the gospel in there while they're feeling loved, and that'll be just a good thing. I have, um, oh my, look at the time. Are you in a hurry? I, ha I have in my notes, um, gay wedding example, if time. <laughs> There's an out. Do we have time? Just, just think of it this way. Think of it this way. Um, if Jesus doesn't love his family in this instance by doing what they want, when they want, how they want it done, how will they ever get into the family of God? There's always the danger of these things being practical. And the scripture tells us that initially, Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. We know the end of the story. Uh, James and Jude went on to be leaders in the early church. Clearly, they repented and turned to Christ in faith, and, and they now know him not just as the, the brother, uh, you know, the older brother in the natural sense, but they knew him as God and Savior. Um, so it turns out um, the, the, the love um, that, that points an outsider in our family to the kingdom is a love that honors the will of God. And, and, you know, in your Bibles, you have James and Jude, two epistles written by, G I guess we should call them half-brothers. Um, James, how do you suppose he begins his letter? Hey, you should pay attention to me. I grew up with Jesus. No. James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's the priority. How does Jude begin his letter? What, you know what makes me so special and the reason you should listen to me is that I have the same mother as Jesus. No. Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. You see, by God's grace, by God's grace, 
These brothers were born of the Spirit to receive Christ and believe in His name. So He's not just their older brother physically, naturally in that sense, but spiritually and supernaturally and eternally, He is their God and King. And that's the family connection that has ultimate priority, the family of faith. Let me just end with this. We've seen the family dilemma, and we've seen this new family described, and I want you to just notice briefly that this new family then is directed. Look at verse 50. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Um, Don't miss this. You might want to just circle the word whoever as well in somebody's Bible. Um, God's family of faith is exclusive, but it's not closed. It's not closed. Whoever, whoever receives Christ, whoever believes in his name, Jesus is teaching Mary and her other sons that he has come to invite many, many, many others into the most intimate, enduring, wonderful family relationship possible, the family of God. And then Jesus says again, whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, this is my brother and sister and mother. Let me just say this. It is God's will that you repent of your sin. It is God's will that you transfer allegiance from yourself to Christ. It is God's will that you live to the glory of God out of gratitude for His salvation and love toward Him in the power of His Spirit. And you are invited to be a part of this family of faith if you're not already You say, well, I wonder if he'll have somebody like me. Doesn't it say whoever? From the Greek, whoever? (laughs) And all who belong to said family bear the family likeness. Remember, I mentioned earlier that the natural family, uh, by God's design, becomes a model then for uh, the family of God. People often tell me, especially on Sundays, that I look a lot like my father. And in, uh, yeah, and uh, I like to think he looks like me, but I don't, think it, I don't think it goes that way. And I was sharing with the first service that my dad, who's usually sitting over there in the first service next to me, when we stand up to sing hymns, I, I try to watch what he's doing with his hands so I can do something different, just to kind of break out, if you know what I mean, on my own. But, but this family likeness thing is so obvious. Our grandchildren look like our children. And maybe a little bit like their, their, their grandparents. We understand that this is how it works. And, and this is how it is in God's family. You and I, by God's grace, begin to look and act and speak and think and love more and more like our older brother Jesus. If this is not so in any way, we're not in the family. Because it's a work of the Spirit of God. And so that even when kingdom family priorities conflict with those of natural family 
priorities. I'm not talking about events. I'm talking about the trajectory of our lives. Um, we have a new heart that gladly surrenders to the will of God, do we not? Obedience to God's will, then, is the distinctive trait of all who belong to his family of faith. Jesus fully understood the awkwardness and the tension and the weirdness that happens in a family when there are insiders and outsiders. And he's given us his spirit that we might navigate these things as he did. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that we have no need to, to, to make it applicable and practical. It just is. Because we're your children. And you have spoken. And you have equipped. And you've given clarity about how we ought to respond. And so, Lord, I just pray that, that we would do so. And, Lord, I thank you again that you have this word, whoever, in the scriptures before us this morning. And I just pray, Jesus, that as you have been lifted up, Lord, that whoever came through our doors this day, apart from you, would leave here in Christ. Lord, that you would grant repentance and faith this day. And Lord, would you grant faith and joy for those who are your children to walk according to your will. And Lord, that we would understand that um, sometimes the tension with the outsiders is simply what it is to bear that cross that you've told us about. So we do it with joy in your strength and for your glory. Let that be part of our witness to our families and to our community. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name.